0: Greetings, I am your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to the second season of My Weirdest Experience Podcast. This is the show of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you, and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience, and it's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hi friends, thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218. Or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com. That's T-I-N-A-K-I-N-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I have Sean Eli here today and he is a comedian from New York. How you doing? <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm doing well. How about you?
0: <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, he it well I wanted him to talk a little bit about how he got into comedy and then he has uh, probably a bunch of funny stories to tell us but One that he will get into will be about a comedy performance that went horribly wrong.
1: Wait a minute. You expect me to be funny for free? (laughs) I don't know if I can do that.
0: Wait, you expect me to interview you for free?
1: (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. You expect to compete with me for jokes?
0: (laughs) No, not really. All right.
1: Yes, I don't expect you to interview me for free. If you want your audience to pay you, that is fine
0: with me. Oh, I would love if they paid both of us.
1: (laughs) Well, then I get half. How's that?
0: Okay, that's fair.
1: So you want my life story, huh?
0: I just want to know how you got into comedy.
1: Well, I will say that my life has been a, a series of amazingly lucky coincidences. Like I got into college when I was on the waiting list. I found out I could transfer from arts and sciences into the business school by coincidence because my neighbor was telling my roommate that he was doing it. And as far as stand-up, there have been a bunch of other coincidences, as far as stand-up comedy, I'd always been writing jokes, but I never thought I was a performer. And then I was on a date with somebody and she said, why don't you try stand-up comedy? And I said, I don't really think I'm a performer. And she told me she had just taken a comedy class and I should take the class. And I went to see people from the class perform and they were funnier than I expected. So I said, all right, I'll take the class. And I started performing. And a few years later, I said goodbye to the day job and now I'm a comedian. Wow. So just luck.
0: Yeah. So what do they teach you in class, in comedy class?
1: You know, it's a weird thing because comedians, a lot of comedians who haven't taken classes have this attitude that, Stand-up comedians have to be rugged individualists that, you know, you can't learn to be funny. You have to just get on stage and fail until you get better. And you think about it, everybody else gets coaching, right? (laughs) Hockey players get coaching. Singers get coaching. Actors, when they're not acting, are taking acting classes. Every other profession or art form has lessons, and comedians think they're different, and that's ridiculous. So I would say... Silly, silly enough, a valuable lesson you learn in a comedy class is how to use a microphone and how to work a mic stand. Because I've seen, you know, you, <laughs> people think it's hard to do this without demonstrating, you know, visually, but people think you, the way you raise and lower a mic stand is this knob or, you know, this round thing you turn about halfway down the mic stand to loosen and tighten it. And that's true for many mic stands, but some of them have a trigger grip at the top. And I've seen so many comedians who don't know how to work the mic stand try to raise or lower the stand by controlling something where there isn't a lever. And, and, or, you know, make sure the microphone is pointing at your face and you're not holding it at your waist. Or not hitting yourself in the face with the microphone when you take it out of the stand. Because oh a lot of times the mic is shoved into the mic stand so tight you pull on it and it doesn't come out and you pull harder and harder. And then all of a sudden it breaks free and pow, you hit yourself right in the mouth with it. So, but that's just the physical stuff of stand-up comedy in terms of, you know, how to do stuff. But you can learn how to write a joke, how to structure a joke, how to make sure that your joke is tight by getting rid of every extraneous detail that isn't absolutely necessary for the joke. So a joke that could be a minute long with one punchline could be a 20-second joke with one punchline
0: once you tighten. Oh, wow. Do you, how do you... Go up there and remember all your jokes. Oh, you know, it's like learning to
1: walk. You put one foot in front of the other. You practice and you practice. I mean, I can do a two-hour show now, uh, but I've been doing it for 18 years. You don't start with two hours. You start with about five minutes of material. Yeah. And the way I learned it is I literally said my routine uh, over 100 times in the week before the show
0: oh anyway. okay and my
1: greatest fear starting out was forgetting my material so all i did was rehearse and rehearsing and rehearse.
0: that would be my greatest fear
1: <laughs> well you know what the audience wants you to succeed so i always had my list of jokes in my pocket so that if i forget i could pull it out and once when i was new i said you know i don't know what joke to tell you next let me go to the pocket of funny and i pulled a piece of paper out of my pocket and they thought that was funny yeah didn't bother the audience as long as I made
0: once you've rehearsed it a hundred times you've had it memorized pretty much you think
1: that but i regularly (laughs) do my two-hour set in my house just walking around the house yeah and sometimes without an audience it's about an hour and a half and sometimes you know i look at the clock when i start and i look at the clock when i finish and it's 87 minutes and i'm like this should be 90 minutes and then i go to my list my set list and I'm like, oh, I forgot that joke. So even after 18 years, there's stuff I just leave out.
0: Yeah. And if you like freeze up there, do you have uh, ways to get out of it? Like, you know, if you just completely forget your jokes or forget the next one, do you start interacting with the audience and asking them questions? Is that how you get out of it? <laughs> I try not
1: to, but I think the only time I really froze. Well, I've frozen twice. Once was that time when I said, Let me go to the pocket of funny when I was new. Because if if I go out and I say I'm gonna do this half hour, I'm just gonna tell jokes till my half hour is over. It doesn't you know, the audience doesn't know what you intend to do. They only know what you did when you were up there. So if I wanted to talk sure. about my parents and I forget that I was gonna talk about my parents, I'm like, oh, I'm still on stage, I'll talk about something else. So the second time I froze was Um, when my father passed away uh, my mother had told me I know being on stage is important you go to your show and it was the day of the funeral or the day after the funeral and I was on stage and I have a joke that's about burying a body and in the middle of the joke I realized I was telling a joke about burying a body on the day I'd buried a body
0: which was weird
1: and so I kept going it didn't the audience didn't know that I felt weird. I don't think, but it sure stunned me.
0: Yeah, almost like an of body experience. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was just odd.
0: Well, um, I have a lot of admiration for comedians, and I love to laugh. So, and I like—I actually really enjoy making people laugh. And if I had the opportunity to take a comedy class, I might take it.
1: Well, I don't know if there are classes where you live, but you could call a local comedy club and ask them. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you're going to have to move to New York.
0: No way. And how I'm doing that. <laughs> Before we uh, started recording the episode, I was telling uh, Sean that I lived in New York and left and never wanted to return, so... Well, why don't you walk us into what happened with your comedy performance?
1: Uh, okay, so this was weird. When you're a new stand-up comedian, you take every chance you have to get on stage or even not a stage. Just because just to get better, you've got to get on stage. You've got to get in front of an audience. And if you ask a comedian the three secrets to getting better, it's stage time, stage time, stage time. It's like in real estate, they say location, location, location. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So... When I was doing comedy a couple of years, I found out that there was going to be an arts festival in downtown Manhattan. And so I called them up and I said, are you going to have stand-up comedy? He said, yes. And I said, could I perform? The guy said, come down here and talk to me. I still had a day job. So at lunchtime, I went down there and I met the guy. And I said, I want to do stand-up comedy. And he said, okay. Okay. and he said, there's, you know, I, I spoke to him about who I was and what I did. And I think I was probably in a suit and tie at the time, you know, coming from a, a day job. And he he said, sure, you know, we'll schedule you for the show. And I asked a question that I thought was a reasonable question. I said, how much time am I doing? He said, what do you want to do? And I said, 15 minutes, because I thought I could do, you know, I thought I had 15 minutes of material the time. He said, okay. And so I was ready with my 15 minutes, and I show up, and there's it's an arts festival. It's not just stand-up comedy. I might have been the only comedian. So they had, you know, singers and dancers and, you know, jugglers and backstage. They also had, like, little dance, tr- dance troops with, you know, 10-year-old girls. So backstage was really crowded, so they didn't let us be right backstage. We had to be in a different room, and when it was time for us to go on, somebody came and got us and said, okay, you're next. So they got me, and they said, okay, go on stage. And I go on stage, and there's about, I don't know, maybe 35 people sitting in risers. And I go out, and I start telling my jokes. Nothing. I'm just getting dead stares. It was as if I performed for people who didn't speak English. <laughs> just, and I was performing in English. And, <laughs> and they were just staring at me and frowning. And, I, you know, well, I've been doing my jokes. I've been writing comedy for a long time before I started performing. I knew my jokes were funny. I knew I wasn't the best performer, but I was used to getting laughs. And I think it was probably nine minutes till I got a laugh. And or nine minutes till I got a smile and maybe a couple more minutes before I ever got laughs. And by the end, they were laughing, but I just felt absolutely awful. You know, to me, you you don't get anything for more than half your set. You're bombing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And I just left really upset and dejected. And it was a Sunday night. And I go home and I'm thinking, maybe I got to rethink this comedy thing because, you know, there were people there who were there to see your performance and nothing happened. So just by coincidence at lunchtime, um, I walked out of my day job and I went to a, like a dollar store kind of place in Midtown Manhattan. And a guy comes up to me and he says, you were very funny last night. And I said, you know, I think you got the wrong guy. I am a comedian, and I did perform last night, but I was terrible. And he said, no, you were great. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, do you you know what you followed? And I said, no, we were like in the back. We couldn't see what we were, you know, who was before us. He said, the woman before you told a 15-minute story about being sold into marriage when she was like 12 years old, forced into an arranged marriage as a kid in another country and was just beaten and abused on a daily basis till she finally managed to escape. He said, we were crying for 15 minutes and you took the stage. We were still crying, but you managed to cheer us up. And I'm like, I had no idea it was just the most amazing coincidence that out of the 35 people in a city of 8 million I run into one of those 35 people and he comes over and talks to me about it and that was a really amazing coincidence because I was ready to quit
0: yeah i love that why why is that considered is this a like entertainment variety show why would someone go getting up there talking about there being a child bride, be entertaining?
1: I I guess, I don't know. I guess he just said he was welcoming storytellers. And that oh. was her life story. I don't know whether she was like, she had a book to sell or she just wanted people people to know that, you know, in some countries this stuff goes on. I have no idea. But that was her story. Well, I didn't, I'm glad I didn't have to hear it. Good thing you didn't quit. <laughs> you know, comedians have stories of like, they do a they do a fundraising show for a, a cancer charity, and they get there, and then their introduction is like twenty minutes of talking about cancer, and then somebody says, "Okay, now for the comedian," and they've got to overcome that. I think this was worse. Yeah,
0: that's a lot to overcome.
1: Yeah, but I somehow managed to do it, and maybe because I didn't know what I was overcoming, if they told me beforehand, I might have said, "No, I can't go on."
0: Yeah. So, you performed all over the country? Uh, I performed in about half a
1: dozen countries. I've performed on five continents so far.
0: Oh, wow. So, what was your, I was going to say do you think New Yorkers are one of your toughest audiences to get them to laugh or respond? I don't think
1: so, but maybe it's because I have a New York sense of humor. I've lived here all my life. So, I, I think. New Yorkers are not the toughest audiences, I think. And also, if you do a show in a comedy club in New York, half the
0: audience is tourists anyway, so they're not necessarily from New York. Right. So what's yeah. your toughest audience you've experienced? The toughest job I ever had, and my jokes are pretty universal,
1: so there's not cultural references. I don't talk about you know American commercials or sports. So when I traveled the world, I thought you know my jokes would be easy and everybody would appreciate them. But I was in South Africa and, you know, I think of South Africa as a Western country. They speak English. It should be easy. And they just had a different sense of humor. Like I have a joke where I talk about, you know, I had a date last night. The wine bar was full. So instead, I took my date next door to the thrift shop. Where for for the cost of two glasses of wine and a cheese plate, I got her an end table, two lamps, half an encyclopedia. I mean, it's just a silly joke and Mm -hmm. you're smiling, but you're not laughing. But I mean, to me, it's just, just a silly joke about if you're going to spend money on a date, why not buy her something she can use instead of just a drink. And it usually goes over well, but there they were just like, that doesn't make any sense to us. Or they were like,
0: what's a thrift store?
1: (laughs) No, I actually looked into, I actually looked into it and in South Africa, they have thrift stores and they don't really have wine bars but bars in general serve pizza the way bars here might serve chicken wings. so like actually south africa changed it to you know bar and pizza but still they just like that doesn't make any sense to us like i also have a joke about one of these obnoxious christmas letters you might get from a neighbor that's all bragging and i make fun of how much they were bragging and they were like we don't send braggy letters here bragging is not part (laughs) of our culture
0: yeah i guess that would be odd
1: so i mean other than that i mean i've performed in in new zealand australia thailand south africa ireland um the netherlands and my jokes work in all those countries
0: have you performed down here and in, in charleston
1: i have performed in charleston but not in a public show it was for a private organization
0: Oh, okay. I, I actually
1: w- was supposed to perform in Charleston. Uh, I guess it would be three years in December, but they ended up canceling the show, so I didn't get to perform.
0: Well, I love being part of an audience here because I've been to my share of shows and concerts in New York and in D.C. and hear people. It'll, you can feel the warmth of the people that live here. Because the they, they will clap, they'll give you standing ovations, they're cheering you on, whereas I feel like in New York, people were pretty, the audience was pretty low-key, they wouldn't really respond with enthusiasm.
1: Well, I think I, you know, maybe for music, but for comedy, you know, I think New York audiences are as responsive as anywhere else. Oh, interesting. I'm told, I haven't, you know, I haven't performed much in the UK, but I'm told in places like London, if they don't like you, they'll let you know it because they'll talk back and you're just expected to deal with
0: it. <laughs> and that doesn't happen in New York? Not much. You know, people
1: talk about heckling a lot more than people actually heckle.
0: <laughs> Yeah, so Okay.
1: I've also found, you know, I dress reasonably well on stage and I found that you know, you dress just a little better than the other comics. The other comics are in like sneakers and a T-shirt and you wear boots and a polo shirt. The audience doesn't talk back. It's so weird. It's like all of a sudden you're managing.
0: Why do so many comedians wear black on stage? I don't know. I don't know that. I'm trying to
1: think. I don't think most comedians I I work with wear black on stage. I mean, actually, right now you can see me because we're doing this on Zoom and I have a black T-shirt. yeah. I wouldn't have worn a black t-shirt had this been, you know, a video recording as well. I would have put on probably a polo shirt or a dress shirt. But But you don't
0: wear black on stage? I don't think I own anything
1: black except for t-shirts and one necktie that I don't wear.
0: I have a theory about that because I watch a lot of comedy shows. I've seen a few stand-up routines live. But, you know, the Netflix comedy shows and most of them are wearing black. On stage. Just, I don't know if you've noticed, but I feel like black is a protective color. I think it for a couple of reasons. One is maybe
1: they don't want to stand out because we're talking about a Netflix special. Somebody put a lot of effort into designing the set. So <laughs> behind them is, is colors and you don't want to clash with it. So it's easy to wear black.
0: Right, right. And also,
1: because most of us are fat and slim. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all of them though but i I just think it's interesting i think it's like a subconscious thing that they're wearing black as a protection because black is a protective color
1: you know i think that's an example of something i learned in a comedy class that didn't apply here because in a comedy class they teach you to put the actual punch at the end of the sentence and i said we're fat and it's slimming i should have said it's slimming and most of us are fat (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that would be the proper way to tell that joke i just you know wasn't thinking about yeah it but it. it was
0: still funny the way you yeah, said but, it
1: thanks but it would have been funnier if i'd done it in the right word.
0: yeah so anything else weird happened while in all your travels and um countries you've visited anything that made you go hmm
1: i did a show once um they called me up a singles organization said we need a stand-up comedian. We're doing speed dating. And I said, how are you going to incorporate comedy into speed dating? And they said, oh, we're going to have the performance, and then we're going to have the speed dating. And I said, can you do it in the other order? Because when people go to speed dating, they don't want to just sit and listen to this guy. Have the speed dating. Get that over with so they're, they're happy they've met people. And then have the entertainment. They said, no, no. We're going to have the performance first. And I said, What's the age range for the people for speed dating? Because speed dating, to, for people who don't know, is like 10 five-minute dates, and you just go. Usually the women sit down, and the men just go from table to table. So you have 10 five-minute conversations, and then you indicate which ones you like. And if they like you, then whoever organized this gives, you know, gives everybody your phone number or email address. So um, you, you don't want you know, a 20-year-old meeting a 60-year-old. So I said, what's the age range? And they said, oh, we didn't break it out. It's all ages. And I'm like, that's a disaster. Yeah. And I get there. I get there. And they said, oh, we have canceled the idea of speed dating. It's just going to be people mingling. So we're going to have you perform. And I'm like, you're going to have me perform while people are mingling? You know, they're going to be talking to each other. They don't want to listen to me. And they said, oh, we'll tell them to be quiet while you're performing. So I'm like, OK, they're all just going to be standing. And audiences need to be sitting down. They're all just going to be standing there and watching me or listening to me perform. But what they're really going to be doing is paying attention to the people they want to meet. They're going to be looking around like, I want to talk to him. I want to talk to her. So I go up, but I do the best I can. I've been doing comedy for you know a few years at that point. And I know my material is good. And I started out selling jokes to Jay Leno for the Tonight Show model. So I'd gotten jokes on the air. I knew my material was fun. And I get up there and I do okay, but they're really not there to see me. And comedy is not background music. People have to be paying attention. Yeah. So afterwards, a guy came over to me and said, you know, you need better jokes. And I don't know what would provoke somebody to, you know, be so rude. I just said to him, you know what? I don't need better jokes. I write jokes for television. I know my material is good but the fact that you would so rudely come up to me and say something like that does tell me one thing. I needed a better audience. Mm-hmm. And then I walked away. So.
0: Or he needs to get a sense of humor.
1: Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> either way I, you know, that was my answer. to him.
0: Yeah. Is it, do you get like feedback like that a lot, like criticism or a lot or most for the most part, people are happy with your performance
1: most part people are happy they laugh what's what i discovered is that older people don't laugh as much like if you do a show for a bunch of senior citizens you don't get much laughter but they have just as good a time they're just not vocal about it so when you leave they're so happy they come over to tell you oh i had so much fun but they don't laugh out loud as much as you know 20 or 30 year olds yeah i wonder
0: why
1: i don't know but As far as feedback, I had a woman come over to me after a show and say to me, you need to do more jokes about shopping and real estate. (laughs) (laughs) I have no jokes about shopping or real estate because I have nothing to say about shopping or real estate. (laughs) That's weird. You know, you talk about talking to the audience and asking them questions. I had a woman say to me, you shouldn't ask people in the audience what they do for a living. It's
0: rude. I'm like, not in the culture I come from. Mm-mm. that's normal just a, like that's normal yeah. one-to-one conversation you meet someone new you get their name you find out where they live and then you ask them what they do for a living
1: yeah but I guess in some cultures you're judging people by their income and so you're not supposed to ask that oh. so this was in New York yeah I think maybe she was embarrassed at what she did for a living that she didn't have a job but <laughs>
0: So you've been doing this for 18 years. Yep. Going to keep going?
1: I hope so. I mean, there's no retirement age. You do it until people stop laughing.
0: Yeah.
1: Or until you don't want to do it anymore. I think most comedians end up leaving stand-up comedy because they find something that's more lucrative, like acting. So if you get a sitcom, you may stop doing stand-up comedy. Although, you know, some people like Jerry Seinfeld had the most successful sitcom ever sitcom ended he's back on stage doing stand-up but then you have people like richard belzer who started as a stand-up comedian and then he was on law and order svu for a really long time and then retired from that i think as soon as he got the tv show he stopped doing stand-up yeah actually was on a couple other shows before that
0: so are you waiting for your tv show
1: no i think i'm the rare comic who has no interest in being on a sitcom the only the only reason i would be on a sitcom is to further my stand-up career somebody came to me and said hey you know we want to put you in our tv show i'd say great because it's exposure but it's not what i want to do i like what yeah. i do mitch tedberg was a very funny comedian who passed away probably 15 years ago said it's the only job where when you get good at it they ask you to do something else <laughs> he said something like it's like you're a great chef and they come over to you and say you're a great chef can you farm like it doesn't or, make sense.
0: Or it's like models, you know, modeling. You could be a really good model, but once they get it act, into acting, they go into acting.
1: Well, I think it pays better.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it does.
1: And also, it's hard to be a model after, you know, the first wrinkle shows up.
0: True, true. There's a shelf life for that.
1: Well, that's why that's why I stopped. I was a major fashion model. <laughs> you know, I got a wrinkle. And they said, Sean, you know, you have to do something.
0: So, who's the mas- the most famous person you've ever met?
1: Um, I don't know. Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, you. Tina I'm Clark. Not
0: famous. The most famous. I'm not famous.
1: Well, you will be. And then I could say I met Tina Clark before she was
0: famous. I'm famous in the spirit world, not here. But that's okay by me.
1: <laughs> Does that mean ghosts know who you are? <laughs>
0: Ghosts, angels, spirit guides, ascended masters.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dentists? Any dentists know who you are?
0: Yeah. Oh. A few dentists. Yeah.
1: They're the people you need to have known. I don't know why I thought of that. that makes
0: sense. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I guess they're not quite angels or spirit guides.
0: Yeah. Well, Sean, what are you up to now? Are you touring? Are you writing I, books and avoiding I, TV shows? What's going on? What's up next?
1: Well, I wrote a, a comedic mystery novel that I haven't been able to sell. So if anybody listening to this is an agent or publisher, get in touch with me. But if you go to my website, com, it's got my touring schedule. And since the pandemic, I've basically been only the northeast i flew to chicago last week for a show but basically i've shows from vermont to virginia over the next few months yeah well if
0: you ever have a show down here shoot me a message i'd like to see you
1: all right perform in person i will do my best i hope uh you know not this year but maybe next year i'll be in charleston
0: all right well thanks sean for being on the show Sure, it was lovely talking to you. Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on com. Also, we're on Facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.